The Fire In Me Now was a project facilitated by Monshannon Arts with thanks to the support of Creative Ireland Clare. The vision for Creative Ireland Clare is to ensure the people of Clare discover and have access to cultural expression through creative activity. In May, a group of interested participants came together to partake in a series of workshops, one in writing with poet Ron Carey and one in visual art with artist Margaret Curran. These workshops were offered free of charge to the participants with thanks to the Creative Ireland programme. The project culminated in an event at Monshannon Arts Festival with a reading by poet Ron Carey from his new book Songs for Older Life and a discussion on the importance that creative expression can play in positive ageing. This programme is brought to you with thanks to Creative Ireland Clare and Scarif Bay Community Radio with Monshannon Arts. So good afternoon everybody and you're all very welcome to uh, The Fire In Me Now. It's a project that started um, back in the bowels of winter and um, this is the culmination event. Um, it, I, it, the title of the project comes from a quote from Samuel Beckett and the quote goes, perhaps my best years are gone when there was a chance of happiness, but I wouldn't want them back, not with the fire in me now, no. I wouldn't want them back. And I suppose uh, the inspiration for this came from a few places. Uh, number one, from Ron Carey himself. Um, I was lucky enough to do a few workshops with him. And particularly in lockdown, we did some workshops on Zoom. And at a time, I was working from home, and which I loved, which was great. But I was kind of missing adult company and adult conversation in one way. Not, I'm, I have, My husband is great and great conversationalist, but wider adult conversation companies and um, what I found about that workshop we would meet on a zoom on a Saturday morning and the discussions were great and I found it very inspiring uh, the people who were involved they were maybe at an age of retirement uh, a little bit older you know than I am but we're all in the train we're just on a different carriage maybe we were all heading in that direction and what inspired me as, as well is just the, the verve in these people how they you know and then Ron mentioned at the time that he was going to release a book um, called Songs for Older Life. And this book was um, written about people who blossomed and came into their own creatively in, in their, we'll say their autumn years. The autumn and, yeah. years so. and um, with the, would have a vignette of the, of the people. And then Ron had written a poem um, for that person, which I think is a lovely style of book. And later on, Ron will read from that book. And you have the opportunity to purchase the book at a very special price of 10 euros. So I would urge and encourage you to please um, buy the book. Um, and then also around about that time, Judith Watson um, sent an email to Stephen and noting that um, she had come across this group called the Kylak, these uh, female artists who... Um, like that, um, had reached a certain age of life. And I just thought, like, um, there's a creative spark, there's an inherent spark in all of us. And just because you're past the first flush of youth doesn't mean that it's quenched. And there's always something, you know, that you can do to stoke that, that flame. So we decided we would do a series of workshops, one in writing and one in visual art. And that was about a month ago. Some of you partook in uh, those workshops. I think you'd agree it was, a, it was a fantastic day. And just the, 
we felt empowered and alive after it, and the fire was certainly stoked that day. So, uh, unfortunately, Margaret can't be here today, but um, the, the, we started with the writing workshop with Ron and then with some painting with um, Margaret. So we're going to listen to Ron. He's going to read from his book. Um, then we'll have a little discussion. And afterwards, if anybody would like to make a comment or ask a question or just feed into the whole discussion about... Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And if you, if, you, if you would... That is your thing. If you could come up to this microphone. We have Scarif Bay Community Radio here and this broadcast will go out at a later date. And I should have said as well, Jim, that a lot of my colleagues on Scarif Bay Community Radio are also very inspiring. We have a few septuagenarians and octogenarians who are still going strong. And, you know, it's, it's an inspiring thing to think, what is, what is that quality that keeps a person young at heart? And, um, yeah, I think we'll discuss it and we'll see where we go. So without further ado, I'm going to ask Ron to introduce himself or to read and... Uh, Looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Roshi. Um, thanks for coming today, guys. I know you'd all be rather be out in the, the sunshine, but yeah, it's fantastic. And this is a beautiful spot, by the way. I must say, just passed me by. I, I didn't know it was so lovely around here. Um, first, a quick note about myself. I shouldn't have to read this because I kind of know where I was born and that. <laughs> I was born in Limerick, but I spent most of my adult life in Dublin. I'll be 75 this year. Cathy and I celebrated our 50th anniversary last year. We have four children and nine grandchildren. I retired in 2011, age 63. I began a diploma course in creative writing and literature with the Open University. I took my master's in creative writing in 2016 at the University of South Wales. At my Viva poet, Sinead Morrissey encouraged me to submit my poetry collection for publication. Uh, my pub I got published by Revival Press, Distance was the name of it, I have a few copies left. And it was shortlisted for the Forward Prize, Best First Collection, UK and Ireland. In 2015, Bealtaine Age and Opportunity commissioned me to write a poem for their festival, The Hardest Thing I've Ever Done when you're paid, actually paid to write a poem. It's something else. Uh, this inspired me to run workshops for older people in Limerick Writer Centre and at the Irish Writer Centre in Dublin. These workshops and courses have continued and expanded and now I opened them up to the general public. My second collection, Racing Down the Sun, was published by Revival Press in 2018. I have helped to produce four anthologies of creative writing with the Limerick Writer Centre. That's from the courses, people submitting short stories and poems, and then we put them together in an anthology. With my latest book, Songs for Older Life, I wanted to celebrate creative individuals who blossomed in the afternoons, twilights, and late evenings of their lives. I'm not just raging against the dying of the light, but trying to shine a light so that older people who feel stymied by their age can see how others have reached their own potential late in life and how they kept on following their dream. This book highlights men and women who ploughed on sometimes through all sorts of adversity to hold on to a vision of who they could be. Some of these are very famous, others not so well known. 
In the book you discover in their stories a source of encouragement and I hope you will want to find out more about them. Inspired by their artistic lives, I wrote each of them a poem. And the poems came from every direction and were as varied as the people themselves. I could not tell you where the poems came from. And it was, sometimes it was about the people who wrote and sometimes it was about the lifestyle. In any case, with all the poems, I've tried to feature some aspect of their character or the times they lived in to help inform your understanding of their achievements. My hope is that the poems will feed into your appreciation of their work and vice versa. In the examples I've taken from the book, for this book, from Mark Twain to Mary Wesley, older people triumph. It is important that we celebrate this because it is subject that gets little or no attention. And this in spite of seeing a major aging transition in the world. In spite of all the movements to protect people against all sorts of prejudice, ageism is still widespread in modern life. Some people in the sports media are amazed that Johnny Sexton can still run at the age of 37. <laughs> now, no one is asking you to take over the, the captaincy of the Ireland rugby team. But when we write or paint or sculpt or do anything creative, we are on top of our game and we become our best selves. Each of us is stuffed to the rafter with unfulfilled possibilities. We know this in our hearts. It's here within these possibilities that now and again we see our true selves shining clear as day. And our true selves has no age. Creativity, whether it's a spark that lights the darkness or a roaring fire we can, can't put out, is within us all. It's part of who we are. Why should we ever give up on who we are? Especially if the reason is down to age or unacknowledged bias that age brings. The people in this book have achieved public success, but this is not necessarily the criteria for judging uh, our own creativity. I once had a participant in a course who just wanted to be able to write a poem for her granddaughter's baptism. And that's what she said as she came in the door. I just want to be able to write a poem for my daughter. <laughs> that was why she was doing the course. She had very little experience in writing poetry, but was able in the end to encapsulate all that love in a poem. She read it on the day and it was wonderfully received, especially by her own daughter, who was blown away. And it became a happier memory that would live forever in the family consciousness. Now, that is success. In that case, the creative spark within that woman roared to flame just for a moment. But we should fan the flames and keep it burning through all our different ages. There is some light at the end of the tunnel. Deirdre Brennan won the Farmgate Poetry Award for a collection, Medina's Cauldron. She is 89. She just won it this year. Deirdre wrote her first novel when she was 50. And when asked why it took so long, she said, I have five children. <laughs> I can relate to that. Well, I have less children, but... That was her answer. That was a complete answer. Yeah, and if yeah. you don't understand that answer, yeah. you're not married. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as Cyril Connolly once said, there is no greater enemy of good art than the pram in the hallway. Yeah. Again and again, other people succeed in every area of life but it seems to have little effect on the myth that creative success only belongs to the young. I think 
with my book. Songs for Older Life will help to solidify the success of older people in our minds and will be another source to go to when we are feeling the pressure to give up on our dreams. So I'll just read you a few poems. Just to get you, uh, give you some idea. Now, the first lady is a local lady from Nina. Marjorie Quarton. Marjorie uh, lives in Nina. Marjorie has become, had to come home from school at the age of 17 to take over the family farm. Now, I'm sure lots of people will understand that. In her case, her father was ill as a result of wounds, uh, wounds and poison gas from the First World War. After some years working the farm, Marjorie began to breed horses. These were sold to the London police, the lifeguards and the Swiss Army. Marjorie turned to writing and published her first novel in her late 50s. When asked when the title of her memoir, Breakfast the Night Before, came from, Marjorie explained, I was going to Spansel Hill. It starts so early, I asked someone in Ennis what time I'd have to start off. Uh, you'd have to have your breakfast the night before. <laughs> he said. Marjorie's book, Peterstown, was launched in December 2019 at the age of 89. It was her 18th published book. Wow. Breakfast of Champions. When your father saw the Ghost Brigade move across the fields, he knew it was your time. You left the school that boarded up your true nature and began to take on the farm the way David took on Goliath. And when your father sent you to the fair, you went with eyes and checkbook wide and you returned, a star rising, still only 17, a woman's courage flowering inside you cool and steady as the quietness of a quiet horse. Your father kissed your cheeks hello, as if it was goodbye. A legacy of crisp tenors was enough to jump that first fence and you were off and running. Fifty years of love for horses and farming and then the books began to drop like late lambs into the lap of your life. But there are nights when the world is brittle with frost you miss the old companionships and the morning kettle jumping on the hob when it was better to have breakfast the night before. Mm -hmm. now, the next lady is a little more controversial than Marjorie. <laughs> Mary Wesley. Mary Aline Miners Farmer was one of Britain's most popular novelists. In 1970, at the age of 58, Mary was left destitute by the death of her husband. She published her first adult novel, age 70. Mary was a woman before her time. The Chamomile Lawn, set in the last summer before the Second World War, was her second novel and her best known and most successful book. With her novels, Mary challenged assumptions about the elderly and sex became part of her books, smashing the stereotype of the older person. Mary had a complicated relationship with her mother and her family did not approve of her novels. Her brother and her sister objected to the Calamine Lawn, claiming that some of the characters were based 
on our parents. In 2002, Mary agreed to write her biography on the condition that nothing would be published before her death. She provided her reminiscence from her sickbed. Wild Mary, which is the name of her autobiography, holds nothing back. Mary Wesley died aged 90. During her career, she was one of Britain's most successful novelists, selling three million copies of her books, including 10 bestsellers in the last 20 years of her life. The House by the Sea. Charming as one of Mary's naive young men, the lawn stretches its legs from the house to the sea its chamomile toes just reaching the water's edge. Here they feast and settle in their beauty. It's a godless, bracing beauty that only the hammer of war can fashion. Whether it is the last or the coming war, it only matters to the survivors. And Mary is a survivor, which makes her gentle with her loves, tender as morning flesh, when lips smart from the strike of kisses and dreams are stubbed out on a bed of failures. Mary often, sorry, Mary goes softly from room to room, chasing the happy and unhappy ghosts out into remembrance of summer's past. And when she tells her stories, stories wherein she strips herself bare to desire, the reading public hardly know which box to put her in. For, let's face it, being old, how can she know passion? Or if she does, wouldn't it be more dignified to pretend otherwise? (laughs) (laughs) I like that one, actually. Everyone's trying to put you in a box. Okay, so Frank Lloyd Wright, if anyone knows Frank. Frank was an American who believed in organic architecture, uh, buildings that were in harmony with the environment. He built houses in the prairie style, a style marked by horizontal lines that conjure flat, treeless regions. In 1935, Frank designed falling water for uh, Lillian Kaufman and her husband, Edgar. It was 43 miles from Pittsburgh in the Allegheny Mountains. The house was constructed over a waterfall on Bear Run River. Kaufman's own engineers claimed there were faults in the design. Frank buried the engineer's report in the walls of the house. Though the construction was plagued by conflicts, it was his most successful project. With falling water, Frank secured his position as the foremost architect in America and his place in history of architecture. Frank finished Falling Water aged 72 and worked on the Guggenheim Museum in New York until his death at 91. Falling water. They wanted to escape from Steel City, 
where the streetlights burn smog all day and the iron splatters from the ladle cars that cross hot metal bridge and hiss molten and the rolling Mongagali River. They wanted somewhere deep, deeper in the woods, where Mrs. K could swim in the naked morning and climb the hills of afternoon. This was your chance after 68 years and you took it with both hands. There were questions. There are always questions when one enters the unknown. But you refused to listen as they yelped about your feet like hunting dogs who had lost the scent of the mountain lion. You took the load they put on your dream, that burden of expectation and fear, your resolve as powerful as the waterfall at Bay Run as it dives forever into beauty. Now, uh, a Limerick man. Oh. <laughs> great Harlan team, I hear. During the Great Depression, Frank McCord's family moved back to Limerick from America. According to Frank's memoir, no, not his mother, but according to Frank, they lived in a rain-soaked slum while his father drank what little money they had. In 1949, at the age of 19, Frank left Ireland and returned to America. He was drafted in the Korean War. After the war, he entered New York University, and in 1967, he earned a master's at Brooklyn College. At the age of 67, Frank wrote his memoir, Angela's Ashes. Frank's mother denied the accuracy of the stories, as your own mother would. <laughs> Angela's Ashes sold four million copies. It's just amazing. In the, and on the, it was on the New York Times bestseller list for 117 weeks. It won a Pulitzer Prize, was translated into 20 languages, and made into a Hollywood movie. My hero. <laughs> rain Man. Of course, you want to hear about the rain. That's all everyone wants to talk about. As if the rain that fell into my childhood was of a different kind, a brutal fantasy of a thing. But if you're quiet for a minute, I'll tell you. The difference was, my rain stayed forever. I could still hear it beat, beat its unceasing homesick drum on the sidewalks of America. Nothing could dispel it, not love, not truth, not distance, not memory, not forgetfulness. But each man has only so many heartbeats in him and he must lead his life by the nose or sit in a bar stool and watch the world go by. So I wrote out my despair and made it famous and the world looked on amazed. Not that there wasn't greater misery everywhere, but that a man could articulate his circumstances so intensely, reach so far back and sift through the long, dead and eternal ashes of his tribe. Now, nearly there. Um, just. Okay. 
Anna Sewell, you know Anna Sewell, Black Beauty. Anna Sewell was an English writer. She is best known for Black Beauty, one of literature's best-selling novels for children, though it was written for adults. Black Beauty is Anna's only published work. In 1834, when Anna was 14, she slipped and damaged her ankles. She could never stand again without the aid of crutches. Anna had to use horse-drawn carriages which fostered her love of horses. She was in poor health when she began writing the story at the age of 51 and dictated much of the novel to her mother, just using slips of paper and giving it to her mother. She was 57 in 1878 when Black Beauty was published. She died of hepatitis just a few months later. Anna originally wrote Black Beauty for those who worked with horses. Her aim was to induce kindness, sympathy and understanding treatment to the horses. By personalising the story of Black Beauty, the story is narrated by the horse. The book has a great effect on the public in health, reducing cruelty. There are now more than 50 million copies sold, which makes Black Beauty one of the best-selling books of all time. Memories of the Long Meadow Any fine day she would hobble to the gate and Martin would walk me out to meet her. I had seen soldiers in the town, blown back from Crimea with one, sometimes two legs taken by the war, but I had never seen a real lady on crutches. There was always a fat carrot or a handful of sugar, though I never needed encouragement to show off. And all she really wanted was to see me run. Martin set me free and I ran like a green colt, galloping across the long meadow, throwing some high kicks in for the joy of it. I could hear her laughing as she was riding on my back. It is a wonderful thing to know when someone is truly happy. I ran. I ran for her and for me. And as I felt all that power beneath my skin, my shiny black skin, I ran even harder until I felt gloriously light, my hoofs barely touching the soaking grass. I can hear her voice now. Go on, my beauty. Go on, my beauty. Go on. <laughs> so, the last one is uh, Dave Brubeck. Does anybody know Dave? <laughs> Jazz? Yeah. Dave studied music at the College, of the, uh, the College of the Pacific in California. He was almost expelled when he discovered he couldn't sight read. So imagine going through a music college and not being able to read. Anyway, he got through. In 1942, he was drafted into the army. While in the army, he created one of the first racially integrated jazz bands, the Wolf Pack. Dave formed the Dave Brubeck Quartet in 1951 with Paul Desmond. Together wrote their biggest hit, Take Five. He continued to play well into old age, performing in 2011 at the age of 91, a month after getting a pacemaker. Dave Brubeck died of heart failure on December the 5th, 2012, one day before his 92nd birthday. My wife, Cathy, and I saw him perform in a jazz club called The Blue Note in New York.
the blue note. We are not really jazz fans, not really, though we do like jazz, but we're not really jazz fans, not really. We know our Duke Ellington from our Louis Armstrong, but not our Miles Davis from our Chet Baker. We like Dave Brubeck. And we do like good music and slabs of meat that recline and sizzle drip over a plate the size of an American football, which fries in a fat bowl as unctuous as a lover's fingers and green still weather wet from the market in Union Square. Well, it is your birthday after all, or maybe mine, and it's exciting to hail a cab and tell the driver, Greenwich Village please, the blue note, as if we had the least clue where it was <laughs> or cared. Then Dave Rubeck makes his way to the stage. My doctors tell me I'm rushing things, he says, a little breathlessly, reaching the piano bench, and then proceeds to reduce the whole place to a pulp you could take home in a doggy bag. <laughs> So, I'm sure I had something else to say. Now, I just, I just want to thank uh, Roisin and the committee for having me here. It's been really lovely. I've really enjoyed it. And, and, and as I said, I discovered Mount Shannon. And uh, it's, it's what a lovely time to come. Have a lovely time to come, and I wish um, you and the committee all the best with the. With the Thank you so much, Ron, and it's yeah. been an ambition of mine to bring you here for a while. So I'm, deli I'm delighted that it materialised, and um, yeah. So we're just going to have a little chat, um, yeah. just about the whole process of the workshops and just this idea about this creative spark and um, like I say if anybody would like to join in um, the some of you that did the workshops are here so um, if you could come to the microphone and just speak into that um, we'd appreciate that so I just have a few questions for Ron and um, we'll take we'll it we'll it. let it flow yeah. we'll see how it goes yeah. um, but something that came up in the workshops um, from a few people was that, you know, oh, as a child, um, I love to paint and I love to write. And you'd have these artistic aspirations in your youth, but they weren't ever really encouraged as a career. Like being creative or artistic was this kind of luxury that you could only afford to do once all these practical things were out of the way. And maybe something of that inherently stays with you. What, what do you think of those, that idea that are we a little bit suppressed or? No, but it was just, uh, I was thinking about it when you said it, but I find that um, there's a kind of an eccentricity in artists that is very strong with some genius type artists. And they, they embrace their art totally. And relationships and family and everything are secondary to them. Now, I couldn't do that. And most people can't put their family second, second to their art. But when we have the opportunity to do that, like what I, I found when I was, um, when I was re retired, was that you have the opportunity and now is the time to do it and not say, well, I'm too old to do it now. It's just crazy to even think about it. Mm -hmm. My own brother, Greg, I persuaded him 
to put some of his poems together and he's going to publish his first book of poetry in September, age 70. My little brother, Greg. And just to say, Greg is also a fantastic visual artist too, isn't he? He is, he's a painter. But he's another guy who spent his whole life um, in the service of his family, I would say. It, it couldn't put it anywhere. He, he worked his yep. off and was a, was a terrific father and a terrific worker. And he had all that, and he encouraged me to go ahead and do it uh, when we were discussing it. And I went out and I did it, and now I've persuaded him to do it. And wait till you see that, like, I mean, this, this, this book of poetry is fantastic. It's just fantastic. And it's seven years in the making. It had to be good. <laughs> so he, he's, going to, um, he's going to bring that out in September. And I couldn't be happier for him. And there's loads of people like that. Loads of people who find their artistic outlets uh, yeah. after their And I retire. guess when you come to that stage of life, some of your practical, you know, like the family things, you, you're released from that a you're little bit. From it, exactly. And you have that space where you mightn't have it as a younger person. So maybe how do you think that the growing older gives you this freedom maybe to express yourself more creatively? Yeah. Well, the first thing is you find that you don't really care what people think. Yeah. The, more, the older you get, the less you care. You leave that baggage you leave, behind you. You leave all those yeah. worries behind you. And what if somebody saw me do this or what if somebody said something to me about that? You get matter. to a point where you say, what about it? Yes, <laughs> what about it, exactly. And um, this, this freedom allows you to try things out and find, find what, what really is the, uh, that creative spark. What, where, where, is it, where is it in you? And interestingly, in the workshops, there were people, well, I like to write, but I don't know about the painting. But they tried it, and it was, I think it was a really worthwhile, wholesome experience. And if you don't try it, how will you know? Absolutely. Yeah. My wife is a very good pianist and tried to teach me how to play the piano. And before the two of us got divorced, I, could, I stopped playing the piano. <laughs> but I mean, the one thing about it is to try yeah. and then discover it. But as soon as I, I've been always writing poetry in some form, not, I'd say it's doggerel, it was started off as doggerel, really, you know, just some, some kind of rhyming thing. But I've always had that uh, connection to, and, yeah. and urge to, to do that. Yeah. yeah. And, and like in, when you were researching your book and you've put a lot of research and a lot of time and effort and you can tell into this book, did you identify any quality like within these people, these artists that came to their own later? Um, did you identify any qualities within them that... Yeah, it's getting up in the morning. It's, it's wanting to get up in the morning. You have to have something to make you want to get up in the morning. And if you get up in the morning often enough, you suddenly find you're 100 years of age. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and we're, we're, we're kind of dismissive of tomorrow. Like, um, but if I said to anybody, I give you 10 million euros, but you won't wake up tomorrow. You can have 10 million euros today, but you won't wake up tomorrow. Okay, you'd say, no, I don't want it. So we now know the price of tomorrow is 10 million euros. <laughs> so let's say it's 100 million. So it's worth more to you than 100 million euros. It's worth more to you than all the money I could come up with. So that's what tomorrow is. And to get up tomorrow and feel 
oh, I feel a poem coming on or I feel like doing a bit of painting today or I do. That is what it's about. And that's why those people I noticed, they, a lot of them lived way into their old age. Yeah. And also, they were still working. Yeah. I think it's a sense of purpose as well, isn't it? That you have this sense of purpose and this drive to keep going. And did you, did you, we also mentioned that, that there's a lot of health benefits to staying creative. Well, absolutely, because I think the mind is, is, has to be active and has to, your mind controls most of the stuff that happens to you. Like, I mean, you can't help you getting old. I mean, that's yeah. the, but that activity of uh, the mind is, is, it's separate from the, the body aging. Creativity is not an old, it doesn't get older. It gets actually... It's that uh, eternal flame, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah, it's an eternal flame. And it gets actually smarter and quicker. And more honed in, and maybe. And more honed in and, mm. and can recognise immediately. Um, it's like I can write poems much quicker now because I'm editing as I'm writing. Yeah. I used to write a poem, edit it, edit it, edit it, edit it. But as I got older, mm. I can start editing as I'm writing. So it, it, it I think as you get older, you cut out a lot of the fluff as well, don't you? You just you said, do. I don't have time for this. I just yeah. have to... <laughs> But I, I was saying in the workshop there that anyone can write any, at any time and that this blank page thing I don't believe in and anybody can start to write and after a while get rid of all the stuff that started writing and then just write what you want to write. And that's so what, what would you say to this person who says, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body? It's not in the body. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I would say. It's in the mind. And you don't know you have that thing you know I mean people say I, I've had people come in and say oh, I, I think I can write a memoir I think I can write a memoir but I couldn't write a poem to save my life one particular girl um, I won't mention her name but she said that to me that she can't write poetry and now she, that's her main thing yeah. she only writes poetry now like she just fell into it and yeah. the thing about poetry I think is, is it's instant gratification you don't have to write 5,000 words or 10,000 words. You write a poem and it's, it's coming from you. It bypasses the logic of the brain, by the way. It works on the emotional part of the brain. Like you don't have to think. Explain uh, every explain little piece. Explain everything. If it, even if it just sounds like words that are making. We're just talking about a painting you have here and how it's just the colours that just evoke, some, evoke something yeah. with you. And it's just a series of colours put together. Yeah. So it's the same with the words. Sometimes you get a feeling from a poem that you can't explain where, where yeah. what that And I think we mentioned this, Kevin, in the workshop, the Billy Collins poem, where he's tying it to a chair. And what do you mean? And, you know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't right. have to, it can be your poem. It doesn't, you don't have to, like, analyse it to death to no, know what is the meaning of this poem. And it, it might mean something different to whoever reads it. And I love when people come up and say, oh, I got that poem, you know, and tell me about it like I mean these poems that I'm reading to you today are not you know my normal poems I, as I was saying to Kevin I took my ego out of the, out of it but these ones I have some there where I actually it was all about me and how I was feeling you know and it's it's necessary sometimes to get it I out. think you have poets have a kind of have to be honest you know what I mean I think when when a poet is honest that reflects and people like that they relate to that yeah. it's you know that's uh, when you feel that thing i know what he's talking about i know what he's saying yeah. that's what people connect with isn't it yeah but i i 
I actually, uh, I was in uh, Australia uh, with my daughter, uh, visiting my daughter in Melbourne, and uh, some people asked me to do a reading. And I did a reading, and I, I was thinking that Australians won't, won't get this. So I opened up with a poem that always gets a reaction, and that is a poem called Little One, which is about a little girl, you know. And it always gets a reaction. And, of course, they all reacted exactly the same, you know. Because children are children, children regardless are children if they're in Ireland yeah. or yeah. Australia, have the same emotions. I think that's the thing. It's international and it's, yeah. it's, it's universal, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the thing, uh, I'm on a bit of a... I was, well, this, this, this book, Songs for Older Life, it's a bit of a crusade for me, you know, because I got, I think... 15 rejections of the, the book when I, when I set out the, you know, when I set out my first collection. And a few of them actually, I, I, I got an honest appraisal of it. It was saying, first of all, you're not on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> and second of all, you're too old to promote. They want people who will produce books and they think you can't produce books after you're 65. You, yeah. you mightn't be able to produce at 66, you'd be dead. You know? <laughs> but that's, and it has been a, a bit of a crusade. The last three years, I wanted to highlight this. Now that I've done it, of course, I'm back on to writing my own, my own stuff again. But well, it's, it's an important thing, and it gives a beacon of hope for other people to say, yeah, I'm not on the scrap heap. I'm, you know, and I'm I valid, think, and I'm... I think, I think it's all about that getting up in the morning business. Yeah. And if you can encourage people to write, and even if it's memoirs or short stories or whatever, whatever it is, I'm I'm kind of fixated on poetry here. But if it, no matter what it is, if you're writing, that that makes you want to get up and write. Like I mean, if you're in the middle of a story, as soon as you wake up, you oh, I go down there. Actually, it's interesting down, you, you know should say that. Um, but uh, Marianne Purcell, one of our radio colleagues, she has just completed her first book, oh, right. and. Um, published by Penguin and I was just chatting to her and saying that's fantastic what you did and you know how did you keep going because I had to keep writing because I had to know what was going to happen next <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, she, yeah. and, and interestingly it was she said when I retired I had the time and I had been getting up at that time anyway I used that time that was previously you know to get ready for work and go to work to sit down and to write and to write every day yeah that's yeah. brilliant yeah, that's brilliant really I love to hear those stories yeah. um, well, uh, yeah, I, may, I might actually read you uh, a poem that got this thing all started, which is uh, the original uh, Bjeltena. Oh yeah. Uh, kind of says what I what I want to say, you know. A song for an older life. O onward world, enrapture me, Patrick Kavanagh. Now that we know we are mortal, let us spend servitude's weighty crowns. Now that we know the sun will rise without us, let us ignore the great sheets on the laundry floor of the sky and go into the rain-forgiving world. Now let us tongue the fruits that smack the lips with surprise learning the difference between something rare and something common and see God's beauty in both. 
Now is the time to remember we once were creatures who climbed the cloudy mountains just to breed, who grew old beneath the cooling stars and listened to the tuning notes of heaven. We looked for God everywhere, then in each other, calling this the soul and this the life exalted. Now that we are wise enough to know, let us leave these chains in the dust. Let us give love back a hundredfold to the people that love us and forgiveness to those who need it. And let us not sit quiet by friendship's fire when there are humans in the east in need of our shelter and in the west in need of our bread. The world is beautiful. So let the answer to all the questions be a simple yes. Let us leave the caterpillar's house and enter the delight of the wing-spreading earth. Thanks. Another question I wanted to ask you, Ron, is um, what do you think the value of leaving a creative legacy oh. to the people that come yeah. to you is? Yeah, I think our, we have old photographs at home and, and all we can do is... Oh, th I think he looks a bit like my uncle, <laughs> you know? And you're comparing, you know, genealogy. And that's all that you know about mm. them. But imagine leaving a legacy that when your great, 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 great grandchildren find this dusty old book, that they see right into what your thoughts, mm. right into what your desires were, right into your very soul. That is the kind of legacy we leave when we write down what we really um, think. And it doesn't have to be a published, it hasn't, even just the, the, I think the act of saying who the family was, where they came, exactly. and what, even that is such a valuable thing yeah. that, you know, I lived, I was yeah. here, and that the generations Absolutely. Afterwards. Me. I lived. I lived. That's the thing. I made, uh, this, is, this was me at that time, and this was me, and if you're... I love when my grandchildren are all there. They're not, they can't all be there, some of them are in Australia, but I love at a, a launch or something when they all come up and say, sign, sign my book, Granddad. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I've, I've dedicated this to the, young, to the youngsters. I've dedicated this to the grandchildren. And like they just, they read it, but they, I mean, some of them, Value, some of them get the it. Value some of that will come when they're later. older. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they will really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, one, I, I was really uh, proud there when one of them told me that he brought, not this book, but my first book, into school and read a poem from it. Like, you know, it's... Sorry? How old was he? He was about 10. He's about 10. Are your poems designed for 10-year-old classes? Yeah. <laughs> no, the, um, see, I have I have other books. Um, this was the first book, and he one of them is called William. It's it's one of the stories. Uh, one of the poems is called William, and he is called William, and he kind of thought it was about him. Well, it was, and it, you know, no, well, it wasn't. It wasn't. But um, yeah, I I get a lot out of that. Because I can see how that legacy you're talking about is, is, is there now already. And you would be surprised what children will take on board. You know, it's my granddad wrote a poem. Yeah. It's my name. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
I wrote the, uh, I was telling you about little one there. If I could read it, I think you'd, you'd get the idea of it. Just. Uh, I think it's the next, this one, this one under, under the bottom there. You swear I had so many books that I didn't know where. <laughs> but you're not 89 yet, Ron, so you have a few. Who was very well, or which one yeah. of them was 89 when she had her? Yeah. So, little one, um, this is uh, their first little grandchild. And. Uh, So, little one, for all the children. We have kept our love in waiting for your coming, little one, while your journey from the future took you nine months round our sun. Welcome to our planet of blue and green and gold in this perfect imperfection. Your story will be told. The gifts I have to give you were the gifts that were given me the splendor of the mountains, the blue majestic sea, the crunch of snow in winter, an apple summer's day, a kiss of love at bedtime, and fate enough to pray. My final gift, this poem, whatever is its claim, I wrote to show we loved you before we knew your name. I always get, yeah. I always get a bit emotional reading that. Maybe somebody else wrote, actually read it, but um, yeah, that's that's the connection you can have, and they they can see that. Yeah, yeah that's. It's a good influence, isn't it? It is, yeah. and it's a legacy. It is a legacy, even if it's only a small one. Yeah, it's still it's still something. It absolutely is. Yeah. Would anybody like to join the conversation? And Suzanne, do you want to come down to the? I'd, last to, I'd like to ask you, please, or to say, um, poetry is not really mainstream. So sometimes when you're sharing a poem with somebody else, they think you're a gaga, you know, what's that about her? And then they go on to the next subject. Uh, I find I would like to know or to have an advocate or somebody alongside me that wouldn't crush you when you write something, you know, especially yeah. from the heart or something like that, um, that somebody would be supportive. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know something, that's, there was a lady came to one of my courses and she sat her up alongside me, much closer than I really wanted her. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and as I was, uh, she said, I want to see exactly what you're doing, you know, exactly what you do. And she said, and you won't give out to me, will you? Yeah. I mean, the introduction came later. Like, we didn't even know who to do But she was, that was her. She was all nervous and dead scared uh, yeah. that somebody... There's two types of, of people, and the people who empathise and the people who just want to get on with it. Now, if you, if you 
I'm not saying that I, I'm. Roshan will tell you. I'm more of the empath. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Would you think? I would definitely say yeah, so. Yeah, I'm kind of speaking for myself here. Yeah. But yeah, it it does take something to get that little thing going yeah. and start it and give you confidence. But it actually happens loads of times in the classes. But I find it strange in that I would also say at my age now, I don't give a damn, think what you like. But, you know, this is what I have to say. But yet I need the affirmation from somebody yeah. that, yeah, it's worthy or it's yeah. legible or it's understandable. Do you know? Yeah. It, it's affirmation we all need. I need it. Hmm. We all need it. Yeah. Like, I mean, everybody needs it. And... I don't know why it doesn't cost anybody anything yeah. to give it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, everybody is trying their best to do. Like, I mean, first of all, I take it that if you come to one of my classes or one of my courses, that you want to learn something. Uh-huh. And I'm not, I haven't got all the answers, but I put you on the road that will yeah. get you the answers. Yeah. Thank you. Know. Thank you. So you're Jane, actually. Yeah. She's running two <laughs> workshops tomorrow. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yes. And Jane is a visual artist. Um, we're going to do a collage workshop yeah. and, and Obvara demonstration. Yeah, some firings. And I, because I started late, my... Because I started late, my family were grown up because I had them very young. And two of them came to college with me. One did sculpture and one did painting. That's good. And, uh, but... I was free then to go and travel. So I have traveled all over the world with my ceramics because it's very hard to, to be free to be able to do that. And, and for the last 20 years, it's been the most creative. And for the ladies here, the menopause never happened in that I, didn't, I was too busy. I didn't have it, if you know, I mean, I did, but I only realised afterwards, and it, I've become more creative since then. I could put all my energies into being creative. And isn't it funny, like, your creative, creativity when you're in your childbearing years is focused there, but then yeah. it's given over to your art, and... Yeah, yeah I, found, I, I found it anyway. I used to joke I'm too, too busy to have the menopause, <laughs> but I realised I probably was. <laughs> you know, you, if you're busy, if your mind is active... So that's all I have to say. Thank you. <laughs> I never heard of you before. So yeah. I'm going to say that. <laughs> and I was looking at the, the programme and I just I thought it was interesting. And I came into it. And only in the last two weeks, I've signed up to do a course on saging and ageing with, um, with, a, with, with a, a, a group. Somebody advised me to do it. And I was really kind of, kind of, I suppose nervous is not the word, but a little bit apprehensive about the whole thing. And the, the pack arrived on, I think, Thursday. And I got up this morning at six o'clock and started going through it because I have a, a Zoom call tomorrow. Right. And in the, co- in, the, in the thing they're going on about, you know, bring up comments about creativity and different things like this. And I said, oh, for God's sake, how am I, how am I going to come up with anything original? And then I know it's not original, but Samuel Beckett's piece is, is obviously a, 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 a piece worth yeah, using. Used, yeah. But I was going through it and they were, t- they were saying that really in the end of the day, you know, 
as you said, it's in the, it's in your it's in your brain. It's not in your or in your heart, if you like, as opposed to in your body. And um, they were saying about the, the, the even though there's a course in learning to be a, um, a saging leader or an elder, okay, even though there's a course in that regard, the kind of the, the people who have who've done the courses are saying you don't really follow a kind of um, an academic procedure. You go through what's happening for yourself and how it's. How it's how you're responding to being creative whatever, yeah, or whatever's yeah. going on. So that then by by there's no such thing as coincidence. By coincidence, I come into this, and this is exactly feeding into what I was doing. And then when I was going through the stuff, I said um, they were saying, and it, when you're talking to us tomorrow, tell us anything that you've done before. And I was saying, done before. What have I done? And I have a file <laughs> in 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 another room, and I went and took it down, which has. A photograph of me when I was four, so I kind of, it, it, it's interesting. And I have about 14 or 15 short stories that I've written yes, in that. Now, they're, they're all they're fun and games and different things. And I'd forgotten, not forgotten, but I had really hadn't create, connected the creativity element of that to the course that's coming. Yeah. So it was coincidental that I came in and I'm thrilled to bits. It was yeah, wonderful, great. wonderful pieces. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to finish with a quote that I saw recently and I thought it was interesting and without being too morbid it's a quote from Joseph Campbell and says the problem in middle age when the body has reached its climax of its power and begins to decline is to identify yourself not with the body which is falling away but with the consciousness of which it is a vehicle this is something I have learned from myths what am I am I the bulb that carries the light or am I the light of which the bulb is a vehicle? One of the psychological problems of growing old is the fear of death, and people resist the door of death. But this body is a vehicle of consciousness, and if we can identify, if you can identify with the consciousness, you can watch this body go like an old car. There goes the fender. There goes the tyre. One thing after another. But it's predictable. And then, gradually, gradually, the whole thing drops off and consciousness joins consciousness. It's just no longer in this particular environment. So with age, it brings change, but it also, the inherent spark, that fire in us now, it always burns. So thank you, everybody. I think it has been a wonderful experience. Um,